Welcome. We're Jackie and Brian, and this is As the Ice Cream Churns. Together, we founded Ample Hills Creamery, one of the most beloved ice cream brands of the last decade. Then we lost it all. We filed for bankruptcy a day before New York City shut down due to COVID-19. Now, someone else owns Ample Hills, and we're out of work. But we're ready to start over. Come join us for an exploration of what went wrong, and more importantly, what comes next. Our guides are close friend, Debbie Rosen. She created the cracked cookies in our hit flavor, salted cracked caramel. When she's not baking, she's a therapist. We thought she could help us navigate these troubled waters. Let's get started. Hi there. Hey. Hey, Debs. Last week, we left off with you telling us you filed for bankruptcy. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, what it actually means. Can you explain it? I wish I couldn't. I, I wish I yeah. didn't know what bankruptcy means. Uh, unfortunately, we've learned so much about the bankruptcy process. Yeah, I think that when, when most people hear the word bankruptcy, uh, they assume what that means is the company's going out of business, right? I mean, I think in a, in a lay people's terms out there, it's certainly sort of my impression of what it meant when I first started hearing this B word. Um, which seemed like a dirty word, was you were going out of business. Right. That, in, in effect, is actually not the case with most bankruptcy uh, in the United States. And in fact, we filed on March 15th, 2020, Chapter 11 uh, bankruptcy. Chapter 11, uh, and they have all these different chapters to bankruptcy, but Chapter 11 is designed specifically around the concept of companies going in and then emerging from bankruptcy. Uh, And the reason that they do that is to basically shed the debt, the sort of debilitating debt that is crushing the company and giving them a chance to start over as a much, much leaner operation um, and uh, move forward. And so the idea is that in Chapter 11, you actually are continuing to operate while you seek a buyer. Uh, for the assets of the company, for the for the company itself. Chapter 7, bankruptcy, is what more people probably think of when they hear the word bankruptcy. That's a total liquidation, lights out. The second that you file, everybody's fired, the business doors are closed, and uh, it's game over. So obviously we were heading into bankruptcy still very optimistic, honestly, because we believed uh, that we had a brand that had a lot of value and that had a lot of a uh, lot going for it still. And that in bankruptcy, if we could um, shed this uh, overwhelming debt, this three and a half million dollars of debt that we owed to, uh, to the bank, that we could come out the other side and um, be a healthier company. I mean, obviously, the huge negative part of that is when you go into that chapter 11, all of the current investors that own equity in the company are wiped out on a dime at that moment, including Jackie and I. I know you're in survival mode at that point, but how does that feel for that to happen? That really, it felt like the end, you know? I mean, as, as much as it 
was, you know, not necessarily the end because it was chapter 11 and it wasn't chapter 7, it definitely uh, felt very hard to, uh, to swallow, knowing that, you know, friends and family and, you know, uh, people who, you know, invested a lot of money into our business were, were no longer going to, you know, be a part of it anymore. And um, we, we were, you know, it was hard. It was yeah, hard. and they'd lost a lot of money. Yeah. And they lost a lot of money investing yeah. and believing in the dream and the vision that we had sold them. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we were still there having to fight for that dream and that vision, even though we knew in the best case scenario, if we were successful, we were still leaving all those other people behind. That's right. Because there was no, there was no other way to, to do it, yep. uh, you know, just by law at that point so i mean it 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 sucked in so many ways but you know we had to we had to move forward we had you know 100 120 staff members at the time we yeah. had a, a a a business that still had all this uh, possibility and you know we really believed that we had this chance to find a a new a buyer, somebody that had um, the financial experience, but that could also support still our vision, our dream, and be a, a partner to us. And so part of why we felt really optimistic at this moment, again, on March 15th, was that um, we thought there'd be a lot of press around this notion of Ample Hills filing for bankruptcy because, um, you know, I think from a public point of view, if you go into Ample Hills and you see the long lines and you have to wait to get your ice cream, you know, I think everybody was shocked that, wait a second, what? Ample Hills is filing for bankruptcy? That doesn't right. make any sense. Right, it made sense. no sense. Yeah. yeah, we were always busy. The shops were always profitable. I mean, it wasn't, you know, uh, it was a strange thing. At this time, what was your vision for yourselves? What were you hoping for? I mean, I think we were hoping to find a uh, a buyer that shared our vision and our creativity and our, um, you know, just the, somebody that had an absolute passion and love for the brand um, yeah. and that wanted... Uh, to basically be a partner to us. I mean, we knew that we were losing all of our equity, but our, our, our hope was that we would, you know, be able to earn back some piece of equity in this company. Um, but, but more importantly than that was just finding a, a partner. Yeah, we really wanted to work with somebody. We wanted somebody to come in, help bring financial stability to the company, um, and and work with us in our vision to, to continue to grow it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, know. and we thought that you know that that press that I'm talking about that was going to be such a key part to that because if we could get and generate a good deal of press around going into bankruptcy, then the bankruptcy process, which is ultimately the sale process of trying to find that buyer, would have this great opportunity, right? And so, and in fact, we did interviews in the week leading up to March 15th um, with the Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal was going to run an exclusive... It was a long piece, yeah. yeah. A national, <laughs> the national financial periodical in the country, uh, was going to run a piece about it, um, and 
of course, on March 16th, New York City shut down, and in the days following, most of the country shut down due to coronavirus. And so the author of the article uh, called us and let us know let us know that, that they were going to pull that. I mean, understandably so. Who, who cares right. about a little Nobody ice cream cared. shop <laughs> in Brooklyn going bankrupt when the country and the world was uh, hurtling into this uh, coronavirus pandemic? And so it just immediately... Um, created this giant obstacle in the way of, of, of getting the word out. And because, uh, you know, we were there, we, um, you know, we had to keep going. We had to keep finding a way to get out of bankruptcy. The, the thing is, though, that week, right after filing for bankruptcy, we had to shut down all of the stores. So, again... And that, the factory. And the factory. And the mm-hmm. idea, of course, again, going into bankruptcy into Chapter 11 was that we were going to continue to operate all of the stores, that nothing from the public's point of view would change, right? All the shops would be open. We would continue to generate revenue and generate excitement around the brand. Spring was coming. Warm weather was coming. We'd be able to find a, a, a buyer that way. But coronavirus hit. And we immediately had to shut down all the stores, mm-hmm. lay off all the employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, every last one was uh, furloughed. And so, in effect, it was not much different at that moment than what chapter a Chapter seven. 7 would have been. Yep. Except for we still had this chance, you know, s- diminishing as it was, to come out of it. Um, but, you know, the problem that we faced at that point was, um, you know, we had no shops open. Uh, the country was understandably focused on coronavirus. We were focused. I mean, we mm-hmm. were living in Brooklyn. Um, we live in Brooklyn. We, and, and, you know, it was March going into April, and uh, the the virus was, you know, taking hold. Um, we had friends that were sick. I mean, we were, yeah. we were scared. Um, and yet we still also knew that we had this responsibility to try to, to bring the company through uh, the bankruptcy process. Right. And we wanted to make sure we were still keeping ourselves relevant. And, you know, um, you, we were this company that that buyers were going to come in and say, oh, well, yeah, you know, this this is a great company. We <laughs> we we, we want to, we you know, even despite the coronavirus situation. Um, yeah. I mean, that was that was the rough part. Do you think it would have made a difference if you filed after the shutdown? Do you even know? I mean, I don't know. It's it, it's really hard to think through the logistics of that. At the time we filed, we were basically out of cash. And you need a lot of cash to actually file for bankruptcy. And so we had just enough money to file for bankruptcy. Um, and that's uh, and and the other problem was that, uh, as you remember, we weren't paying any of our landlords uh, in rent, and so eviction proceedings were already happening. Now all those things stopped with the coronavirus, uh, you know, for all businesses. Um, so I, I just I think that had we waited, we might have been able to have gotten some of the PPP loans that were out right. there. Um, those loans were not available to us because we had filed for bankruptcy. It was actually like one of the first things on the application because I went to go fill it out. And um, so I just don't know in the end that we could have avoided bankruptcy, period, 
we might have been able to have delayed it. But at the end of the day, uh, I think the debt on the company was too great that coronavirus or no, it, it really wouldn't matter. Um, yeah. I mean, so in getting back to th thinking about how we were trying to keep the company relevant and also just keep our, our minds sane, I mean, I was the one really focused on conversations with potential buyers, which we were having all the time. And Jackie was um, out there <laughs> delivering pints and donating pints to different uh, hospitals, uh, which, you know, I was, you know, truth be told, deeply <laughs> uncomfortable with because she was exposing herself and our family, but I, I knew it was important. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, the sirens were, at that time, nearly constant. Um, you would just hear sirens going back and forth. Um, and it was just overwhelming to, to turn on the news and, and see what was going on. and see how um, taxed the healthcare system was and how many people were sick and how overwhelmed the hospitals were. And it just um, was, was bringing me anxiety, honestly, just being at home all the time. I wanted to do something. Um, and so, you know, uh, somebody had reached out uh, from Mount Sinai and said, I, we would love a donation. And I was like, yes. So I ran to, you know, the Red Hook factory freezer and I, I loaded up the car and I started just donating. And it was from that hospital, I, you know, um, I, I reached out to Brooklyn Hospital because I knew that, you know, those were where the sirens I kept hearing were going. And um, the only small thing we could do is just, you know, go into the freezer, load up the, you know, car with pines, go to, you know, the hospitals and deliver and um and and it's just I had so many conversations with nurses and doctors and security guards and um just about you know how intense you know things were i mean they were intense there were tents set up outside um and uh and and the the one little thing i could do is is bring a little joy with ice cream so you had a stockpile of pints how many did you have to to, to so deliver. because we now knew that we were going to probably not open the shops for some time, we, um, we had a whole bunch of pints that were going to expire um, in, you know, what was it? like June, July. June or yeah. July, right. So we knew we wouldn't even be able to sell that many. So, we, so I had enough that I could, you know, bring those to people. I, and it... it <laughs> Crazily, I ended up donating, um, I think it was uh, almost 9,000 pints wow. of ice cream. Yeah. But each car load was maybe only about five or 600, I think you could fit in the car. Five or 600. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I would occasionally get an, a, a furloughed employee to come and help me in the freezer. Brian also got anxious because it was just me most of the time alone in the freezer in Red Hook. Yeah. And if you slip and fall in the freezer, <laughs> Uh, it, you know, it's like a tree falling in the forest. Nobody's going to hear you. And, yeah. and then I just find Jackie, you know, at negative 30. Yeah. Know, yeah. And there's day. no, um, well, the, the ma wearing masks really helped the, with the warmth part of oh, it. Oh, okay. Although Great. I was alone, so it didn't really matter much. Um, um, but I mean, it was, it was a beautiful thing because it also just, I mean, it let you connect with people i mean over ice cream obviously and over the yeah. coronavirus and and uh you know 
Meanwhile, I was, you know, on the phone uh, nearly every day trying to, um, you know, chat with people and talk to people and um, sell them on the idea that this, you know, was a was a business worth uh, saving. Um, I mean, it's probably May by now. And we set a, an auction date um, for early June. So the way bankruptcy, again, the Chapter 11 works, is you actually set up this time to uh, have the, you know, there's a deadline. There's, a, there's a, a moment in time where everybody that's interested submits a bid. And then um, a few days later, after those bids come in, there will be an auction where they would actually gather, you know, normally in the real world, in this case, or on a Zoom call, and uh, bid for the company. And so we knew that we had this sort of deadline that we were working towards. Uh, and we were, we, were, we were trying to, I was trying to do that, and Jack, Jackie was trying to drum up, you know, excitement for the brand and uh you know we were also making we were making the quarantine flavors remember that (laughs) we were we were we were you know in in between you know hospital visits and you know uh interviews with uh prospective buyers we just needed some you know lightness and so we and and you know getting back to like what we love to do most which is to be creative and make ice cream and so we were doing that in the kitchen and we we did a series of nine different quarantine flavors where we do uh live uh instagram um you know sessions debbie the best one i think you would have loved this i mean i Uh really don't actually but it was (laughs) tootsie roll ice cream okay so we actually melted tootsie rolls and then we added yoohoo to the ice cream (laughs) it was the trashiest flavor ever it's so good Well, the mix-in was even it was the best it was the it was uh like a a, cookie crisp it was cookie crisp instead of a rice krispie treat it was like a cookie crisp treat with marshmallow yeah. So it was marshmallow cookie crisp. And we call I, it. I just, I'm going to digress for a second, but can you tell me how you come up with your flavors? <laughs> oh, man. Well, I mean, so that flavor Brian had actually come up with many, many years ago, not the cookie crisp mix. And that mm-hmm. was, in, that was a, an added craziness. Yeah. You had always wanted to do a Tootsie Roll. Yeah, you did no, it. absolutely. I mean, it's just, it, it's, a, it's all about going back to childhood. I mean, you know, the flavors we made at Ample Hills and that we continue to make were always... Um, aimed at kids and, and, and kids at heart. And so, I mean, we weren't thinking of, 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 of a fancy, uh, savory kind of creations. You know, I, the way that we'd come up with flavors is to walk down the cereal aisle at the grocery store or the candy aisle at the grocery store or the cookie aisle at the mm-hmm. grocery store. And it's basically looking at all the other sweets and treats and desserts and thinking, how could this be an ice cream flavor? I mean, ice cream is like... It's like soup. It, you can literally do anything and throw anything into into a soup or into an ice cream flavor. And so, uh, honestly, it was all. It's always been about that kind of effort to go younger and younger <laughs> in the design of of the flavors. I think that might be the youngest flavor, though, the Tootsie Monster. Um, yeah, that was definitely Tootsie Rolls and, and that, Yoo-Hoo, for yeah, sure. And one that we couldn't <laughs> make at scale because you just can't melt enough Tootsie Rolls right. uh, to make it for a shop. But we made these quarantine flavors, and we would do uh, every week we were doing a live Instagram feed uh, and, and trying to, again, stay relevant and keep our own creative juices going, uh, making ice cream. 
uh, and um, talking to potential buyers. The problem was that it was really hard to convince people that this brand was a going concern because we weren't open, right? And the thing is, people were having a hard time seeing past coronavirus. I mean, we're now here talking in August of 2020, and we're still looking at a fall uh, that's potentially going to be filled with coronavirus. It's hard to see past the coronavirus to when this business that you might be interested in buying could be a revenue generator for you and really return that money. And, and so we knew we needed to get back out there and sell again to try to help show that mm -hmm. happening. And so in May... Yeah, that was, it was, uh, yeah, it was just about in May, yep. um, Memorial Day weekend, I believe, or yeah. maybe even the weekend before, before that. that. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a couple weekends Just the weekends. That. We started opening, and it was just Brian, myself, and our two kids, Nona and Kaleo, and um, who were incredibly helpful. Yeah. Um, uh, we would open up a shop, and at first we just sold pints and half pints um, outside, mm -hmm. um, and people were just just so happy that we were back open, even for you know mm -hmm. you know four hours. Uh, Saturday and Sunday, or I think it was just Sundays yeah. we were doing it. Yeah, um, and we did it every weekend for two, three or four weekends, and it was uh, we did, did it at the Gowana shop, yep. we did it at the Vanderbilt shop, yeah. and it was, um, I mean, the lines were, were long, and it was really reassuring, um, and we ended up selling as much ice cream in four or five hours as we did on a regular Saturday in May yep. um, at our Vanderbilt shop being open for 10 hours. Of course, you know, it, it, the reason was is that people were stockpiling pints you know yeah. they hadn't had ample hills in in a couple of months and they came and they bought four pints six pints some people bought eight to ten pints and so um they were buying a lot of uh, ice cream and yeah i mean they were just so happy that we were you know the, the, most of the community was shut down i mean mm -hmm. everything was and here you know we knew and it was it was it was hard to be closed um, during that time, obviously we couldn't be open and there was no way that, you know, we could, uh, yeah. but it was, it, it was just one of those added things that, you know, so many disappointments and so much sadness during that time that like Ample Hills was open. It was just the best yeah. thing. People would come up and say, oh my God, I'm so happy you're open. And, and thank you also for donating to all the healthcare workers because they'd seen that we'd been doing that and, you know, they wanted to come out and support us and, um, you know, we heard you're in bankruptcy, but don't worry, you're going to make through it. It was just a really positive, wonderful, you mm. know, community, you know, feeling at that at that time. Um, even though it was still pretty scary, and we yeah. didn't know how things were going to end up. Yeah. And so, and we did that for uh, a few weeks, yeah. uh, and we shared that with all the potential buyers, um, and we were, you know still somewhat optimistic at that point these potential buyers are, are all of them going to run ample hills as is or or do they have the option of not doing that 
Well, for sure. I mean, anybody could have bought the company and just closed the company down. I mean, you know, I, I suppose if uh, somebody wanted to buy the company and shut it down uh, because they were concerned of, as it being a competitor, or if another rival ice cream company wanted to buy it and then turn all of the shops into um, Baskin Robbins or Haagen-Dazs or, you know, Ben & Jerry's, I suppose that would have been possible. Certainly those were uh, possible outcomes. I think that because uh, Ample Hills was not a, you know, a giant concern, it was, you know, still a relatively small business, you know, with sales of 10 or 11 million dollars and still relatively local to the Northeast and one that was really a, a brand that people had this passion for. We were pretty optimistic that, and, and, and the vast majority of the people that we were talking to about buying the company were just fans and, and wanted to um, save it and be able to, uh, you know, we even had one celebrity chef that was, you know, there at the very end <laughs> that we were really pulling for um, that couldn't get across the finish line. But, you know, he, he was just a big fan and wanted to find a way to um, help continue it on. Unfortunately, by the time the actual bidding process ended, um, there was no auction because in order for there to be an auction, you need to have more than one bid. And unfortunately, there was only one single bid after all of that three months of the bankruptcy process, um, dozens and dozens of uh, conversations and interviews. Um, there was one single bid for $1 million from a company uh, out of Oregon, a machine parts company, um, that um, put in the offer. Uh, and, you know, that was tough. Do you think that was due um, to the coronavirus or were there other factors involved? Yeah, in I, I think 110%. The only reason that um, we ended up in this position was the, the coronavirus. Obviously, we uh, take complete responsibility for the mistakes that we made that got us into yeah. the bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, who else was running the company? I mean, it was us. So right. obviously we, we spent too much on a factory. We built out too big a factory. We made those mistakes that led to filing for bankruptcy. But had there not been a coronavirus uh, pandemic, um, then the business would have continued to have operated in a, and, and been a successful concern, and it would have inspired um, a lot more interest. I mean, the interest that we even saw in March that had fizzled by May when, you know, New York City was running up, uh, you know, the virus counts. And it was just, you know, it seemed like there was no end in sight. And so I think that at the end of the day, um, you know, you were just left with, you know, people looking, uh, you know, potentially for a steal, you know, I mean, to be able to buy um, the Ample Hills brand for a million dollars, you know, ultimately, um, you know, it was, a, it was a great deal, you know, but it took, you know, uh, to their credit, I mean, it took their foresight to know that they'd have to sit on something that might lose money for a good long time before uh, returning money to, to their own investors, you know, but, um, you know, getting it for a million dollars seemed like a, a risk worth, worth taking. Um, you know, and I think that, e you know, even though, uh, you know, we had our doubts when we heard that, you know, it was a million dollar offer and, uh, you know, and there was, um, you know, it was a machine parts company, we tried to keep an open mind. I mean, we really did. But the first time we spoke to the to the new owner, um, 
you know, that was a tough call because we were excited to talk to him. We started the call by saying congratulations, you know, and uh, it, it was clear from, you know, immediately that that they just didn't really want us around. No, I mean, they didn't want us. There's a, I mean, there's a sense that, you know, and I, I get it to some extent, this idea that, you know, a new buyer comes in, uh, you know, it's easier to not have the founders around, right? I mean, the founders have uh, big egos, they've got vision and dreams, they've got their opinions about everything. And I just think they thought um, this might be easier uh, if they're not around. And, mm -hmm. you know, he told us a story on that very, very first phone call about all soldiers going into war know that, you know, individually those soldiers are expendable. I mean, he wanted us to know that that applied to us too. And I think that was hard. That, that I don't know if it should have, but it, it, that came as a shock to us that, that, that somebody um, would feel that way about our potential role. I mean, every other interview that I had done and every other conversation I had with a potential buyer always started with that buyer saying, um, what are your and Jackie's plans? I mean, because if you're not going to stick around with this new company, we want to know now because we're not going to put in a bid. Like, we don't want any part of a company if you're not there. I mean, this is, a, um, you know, your brand and, uh, you know, we want to support it. And it was unfortunately not the message we got from him at that immediate moment. And I, I, I remember even in that first phone call telling him the story of... Um, Ben and Jerry, because, you know, Jerry became, has become a friend and a mentor. I think we talked about that in another episode. But Ben and Jerry are still at Ben and Jerry's. They're, they're still there. They're sort of figureheads or brand ambassadors now, right? Um, but they sold the company um, 20, 25 years ago now uh, to Unilever, which is a giant, you know, uh, company, uh, international company. And I said, like, if Ben and Jerry left Ben and Jerry's today, I don't think that, you know, the brand of Ben and Jerry's would suffer that much moving ahead, right? It's really well established for decades uh, and their vision has been there. But if Ben and Jerry had left Ben and Jerry's 25 years ago, uh, would the last 25 years have been the same? Would it have, would it have had the same creativity? Um, would it have had that, that same thing? I, I don't know. I don't think so. And, 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 and that's sort of how we felt about you know, our roles. It wasn't called Brian and Jackie's or Jackie and Brian's. It was called Ample Hills. But it was still you know, our thing that we had created. Um, yeah, I mean, it came from two people, you know, a screenwriter and a teacher, essentially, that, you know, um, that we were, we weren't, you know, looking to start a business for the sake of a business, you know, we were looking for something more, you know, something more for our community, something more, you know, for our lives, for our kids' lives. It was a family mom and pop, you know, organization or business to begin with, and, you know, we we made some mistakes as we grew, clearly, mm -hmm. um, you know, but, uh, you know. We still thought we had uh, roles to play. Yeah. Was he interested in your creative input, um, your ideas about the culture? Uh, because that's really the backbone of Ample Hills. 
I mean, I think he gave some lip service to that. I, I don't think at the end of the day that um, he felt very strongly about that. Uh, otherwise, um, I, I don't think he would have felt that we were uh, expendable, um, right. you know. And, and I, I just think that um, they felt like we had created a brand um, and that brand had a lot of creativity to it, but that we had done that you know, past tense, that it, it existed and now um, they could carry it forward, you know, with our help or without our help. And we sort of felt like, you know, if, if, if it's a technology company or if you've, you've invented a, a little doohickey or a widget or, um, or a software company, it's a, it's a different thing than a, an ice cream brand. Uh, a lot of people make perfectly good ice cream. Uh, you know, our ice cream recipes are all published out there in cookbooks and there's nothing proprietary about uh, the technology or about our ice cream it's it's it is the very definition of of a, of a brand uh, and, and the idea of storytelling and creativity that goes into it so to us it was a living breathing thing that um, continued to you know that you would think that you would want to continue to have um to us around and uh, you know i just i remember you writing these long emails oh god it was so torturous <laughs> i mean really it, you know uh i wrote you know wrote all these long very impassioned emails about you know what the brand meant to us what you know um it, you know trying to explain to him how we felt about it um the to culture defend our worth defending our worth and honestly as a woman to defend my worth to this man that just you know kind of was coming in there and taking away like really a, a part of my family i mean honestly that's the way it felt i know that's not <laughs> you know it, it's business ultimately but for me it was very very personal and I just, I, it was, it was just intense. It was too much. I couldn't do it anymore. And, you know, as much as I wanted to continue on with Ample Hills, as much as the, the vision is still there, you know, it's still there. It's like, you know, it hasn't gone away, um, you know, in the heart and the, in the feelings around all of it. it. It just, it was too painful. It was just, I couldn't take being devalued like literally every single time I would interact with this person um, and and write an email and get a, another email back, it was it was terrible. I didn't want to do it. I'm like, I'm too old for this. I can't do it. Now knowing, um, you know, now having gone through this process, do you feel that you were naive about what the outcome would be? Hmm. Yes. Yeah, I <laughs> yes, I think that would be a fair uh, assessment. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we we have always believed in um, this creative vision and the the beauty of of, of what we had made and um, and the goodness. Like yeah, I, the I just goodness. feel like we we had so much um, brands like equity and loyalty and you know and and good energy, you know, in the community, you know, just good good energy like yeah. that's like good vibes like we've always put them out there yeah. um and and i've always believed in that that yeah. karma that good vibe energy that was going to come yeah. around and yes that's completely naive yeah I mean, yeah it is and, and and the thing is is when you're in bankruptcy all bets are off i mean you you 
lose all control of of any potential outcome. So I think, you know, it's like uh, the serenity prayer. I mean, you know, what can you control and what you can't control? And and we were attempting to control the uncontrollable. I mean, Mm -hmm. we were doing everything we could to set ourselves up for success. And I think we did what we had to do um, in all the different ways, but we ultimately couldn't control it. And in the serenity prayer, knowing the difference. Yes, knowing <laughs> the difference. Right. Yeah, sometimes that's the hard part of the serenity <laughs> part. Damn it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But after, you know, it was about a two or three week process of negotiating with the, the new buyer. And, uh, and you know, ultimately after, you know, arguing for our worth you know there there were job offers that came around i think it's important to note we didn't just um not get those but it's just the process was so uh debilitating and frustrating that it was um it was just hard to accept the idea of of going to work every day knowing that we would be batting heads um you know if the process to get there was so difficult the process to continue on i think would have been uh, even more difficult um so yeah i mean it, you know ultimately it's like you go to work and you want to feel good about it i mean mm-hmm. part of uh, my my position as a teacher when i was teaching i only left teaching i loved what i was doing i really did was to be a part of ample hills full time to be you know to focus on it and you know to feel like we were going to go into um this new partnership which wasn't really a partnership at all um you know with somebody who didn't really want us around um was a very hard decision because we've got kids and you know we've got we live in brooklyn and um and we love brooklyn and you know new york city is is my home and i'm you know and and now i'm I'm kind of saying okay well this this company people don't even live in in new york that are running Mm it you know are you know um are going to take over and it it and i'm not going to be able to be a part of it we're not Mm -hmm. this isn't ours um so we left. I mean, we made that decision. Right. And for better or worse, it's consistent with who you've been from the beginning. I, I think that's, that's that's true. I think that's true. I mean, the, the hard, you know, uh, I mean, beyond besides just the emotional loss, you know, we we didn't um, end up with a dime, obviously, from the sale of the bankruptcy sale, because that all went to um, our creditors uh, and to the bank. It just went to the bank mostly because, unfortunately, most of the other people we owed money to, architects and designers and contractors, um, you know, didn't get paid because the company because, didn't sell for enough. Right. Um, and it's just, you know, that part also is hard. Were you offered, what were you offered or were you offered anything um, worthwhile? Uh, we were just, we were offered, you know, jobs. We were offered salaries to, you know, go and, and work. But, you know, we didn't want to um, be, uh, you know, we just didn't feel like we could be a part of that new uh, company and, and work with them. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, at the end of the day, we left and, and you know, the benefit of leaving with nothing 
was that um, we could leave without a non-compete. Um, you know, a non-compete means that, uh, you know, you can't go and start another ice cream company or, or do something uh, like that. And so uh, we, we left without that. We left without a non-disclosure. And so we could still sit here and tell our story. Um, and that was important to us. And, you know, any effort to start over required us to be able to tell our story. Yeah, I mean it. It, it was, um, it was hard, but you know we really didn't want to be stuck um, either. You yeah. know, not not you know what to not be able to tell our story, to not start over, to yeah. not do something on our own. Which is what we're, you know, which is what we're doing now with this podcast, and and we're also uh, working on a plan to hopefully um, start over as well, which, you know, we're going to share with you in the, in the coming weeks, um, that, you know, first there are still some obstacles, uh, <laughs> on the road ahead, uh, to say the least, but, uh, you know, we'll get to them in, in the coming weeks. Yeah. And, you know, we're also working on an episode for listed questions and comments, and we want to hear what you, want to know so if there's anything that you've heard that we've spoken about um, we'd love to um, to hear your your questions that we can you know shed some light onto Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, let us know please dm as the ice cream churns and um, and we'll hopefully get to that in the coming weeks and i think that's it for this week okay see you next week Thanks, Deb. Bye. Thanks, Deb. Bye. Bye.